I would invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. A simple exhortation to remember. In fact, there is anything that I might encourage you to do in your times of quiet before the Lord. As I encourage you to do that every day, throughout the day, is to remember. Remember what? Well, what Moses focuses here. If there is ever a sanctifying exercise for any person, especially those, those who know and love the Lord, it is to remember what God has done and what he has commanded you to do. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. Which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs. Flowing out in the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron. And out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God For the good land he has given you. Take care. Lest you forget the Lord your God. By not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply. And your silver and gold is multiplied. And all that you have is multiplied. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware... Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God... And go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. 
Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. As far the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we gather this evening that we might remember. We ask, O Lord, that you might in your word humble and teach us. That you might make of us according to the work of your glorious spirit, those who know where our blessings come from. And so give you thanks and have our hearts more rooted deeply in spiritual affection for you, our God, our creator, and our redeemer. We pray in your name. Amen. One of the things I... Reflect upon as I get older is the lack of memory I possess for many things. Um, if I don't write something down, I will forget it. There's a reason why God has given to us not just a word, a living word, but a word that has been written down for the church in every age. And he is by his spirit preserving that word so that we might remember Parents, if there is ever a theme to your ministry as stewards of your children, it is to teach them to remember. Not just vacations. I'm sure some of you have pictures around your home. Why are those pictures there? Well, maybe it's because the walls look weird without something on them. But really, they're there because they help you remember. And when you remember... You reflect upon the fact that you're not just sort of meat bags living in one space, eating and drinking together under one roof, but you are a a body, a family, a unit, a covenant membership in the most substantial and uh, fundamental in all society. And so you go back and you look at those pictures and you say, oh, I remember that. We go back and I look at the pictures in our house of our trip to Yosemite. All of these things, these memories come flooding, rushing back. The good ones, the weird ones, the bad ones. I remember when we were at Yosemite, we lost Henry for a few minutes. It seemed like an eternity. And the panic that set in, the, the relief there was when we found him again. Or my favorite picture of Henry of all time where he fell while we were climbing on these rocks. And he had this massive knot on his head and his face is filthy and his, the snot that came out of his nose from crying was the only clean spot on his face. <laughs> it, one day when you're a preacher, you can embarrass me. <laughs> These are the memories you remember. That's redundant. God doesn't want Israel to forget. And this is why the Bible is very honest with our sins and the sins of our patriarchs. The Bible is not a work of hagiography. Hagiography is a biography that leaves out the bad parts. It's a a biography to your celebrity hero, and you just can't see all facets of their character. No, Abraham, he was a man of faith, as we read in the book of Hebrews, but Abraham was also an adulterer. David, a man after God's own heart, but man... There are times where I would say to my children, don't do what David did. But then when David was confronted with his sins, what did he do? He repented. 
God wants, of all the things that God wants of his people, he wants us first to be a people that remember. Not just what he requires of us, but leading up to that, ever before we become a people who are able to hear and receive and obey his commands, we must know him as a God who saves us from Egypt, a God who delivers us from our sins. And God, through Moses, reminds Israel why they were taken into the wilderness to begin with, why they were taken back into the wilderness, and how that serves as a lesson for them as they enter and dwell in the land of promise. These are the two things that I want us to look at tonight. The first, taking the second generation back. Taking them back. That means recounting their past. Taking the second generation back. And then second, the test and lesson are the same. The test and the lesson are the same. Let's look at this first point, taking the second generation back. It is here in chapter 8 where Moses takes the next generation, the other, the first generation, having all died off in the wilderness, back to their time in the wilderness prior to Sinai and between Sinai and the land of promise, and then after they rejected entry into the land so that he might reveal to them his, Yahweh's, purposes in condemning the first generation to judgment, where he put them all to death, as he said he would, over time, to reveal some important things related to God and his people. And this severe judgment was important for two reasons. To show the second generation why the wilderness so that they might know how to live in the land of promise. Why does God chastise those whom he loves? Because no chastisement is fun, is it? Kids, do you like punishment? Now, if you do, we have an issue that we need to deal with after the service because you're like a total weirdo, and I need to know what's going on. Because if I didn't, I remember distinctly as a kid growing up those moments in which I was so bad, my mom could not handle just how bad I was. She could not inflict enough corporal punishment upon me to turn my heart to a point of repentance. And so she would say to me, I've said it from the pulpit before, and you've heard it maybe, just wait till your dad gets home. It was part threat, part promise, and it was all just true terror. And my dad would come home and he would deal with me in the way that worked best. And if you don't know it, most boys' hard reset button, do you know where it's located? (laughs) I think you know. Hard reset. And what was a child determined to violate and against the will of his parents and push against their authority was transformed into this, okay, okay, I'm sorry. It was punishment. But it was not punishment for the sake of sadistic exercise. It was punishment for the sake of bringing about in a child something worthwhile, something that would last 
something that was good and pleasing not only to his parents, but to the Lord. What we find in the wilderness as it relates to taking the second generation back is part judgment. Judgment. And God made it very clear what would wait Israel if they disobeyed, and he kept his word. In fact, that is the most important thing you can do when it comes to threats, is to keep your word. Be very careful the kinds of threats you make. Because you will eventually have to make good on your word. Israel came to the land of Prom- or the border there at the Jordan. They sent 12 spies in. Those spies returned with a report. And the spies said, 10 of them, well, all 12 said, it's a great place. Let me tell you, this place is amazing. It's exactly what we sang about in Psalm 111. Just amazing. And what we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I mean, look at all this stuff. A land of wheat, verse 11. Barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. Verse 7, a land of brooks, of waters, fountains. and It's like Eden. In many ways, it was something like that Edenic space. But then they saw who lived in the land. Great giants. And instead of Israel saying, let's go get them, which is what they should have done. Two of them did, Joshua and Caleb. The ten spies said, it's too much. We can't do it. They rejected the call to take the land, to conquer the land out of unbelief and distrust. Israel did not believe what Yahweh said he would do as it relates to giving the land. And from the moment Israel left Egypt, who had been with them? And was there ever a time where Yahweh did not live up to the promises? They didn't know where the manna was coming from, but that was the point. Now, another thing, a little anecdote, even from my own life. One of the things that drives me crazy most about dinner time. And this is, maybe this is just me, and you can rebuke me later if you think that I'm crazy. Um, when my wife, or my wife and I, or I have been, I don't want to say slaving over a meal, because that makes it sound so pitiful, have been laboring to prepare food for our children, and the first question a child comes in and asks in the kitchen is, what's for dinner? That drives me crazy. I don't know why. Wait, I I think I do know why, and I think part of it is they want to know what they're in for. And this is what I always say. Food. Food is what's for dinner. Good food. The reason why that question is offensive to me, it's like walking into a restaurant, going into the kitchen where the chef is working and saying, so what's for dinner? Food is how he should respond. My point is, whatever God has in store is good. It's what he has prepared because he knows best what you need. And what we must learn as his children is to just sit there and take the plate, put it in the front of us, and eat it. To receive it with gratitude. But oftentimes we want to know what it is because we want to know how 
excited or not excited we should be about receiving it. This is why God the whole time in the wilderness was causing Israel not to say when, 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 what, 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 when is it coming, what's coming to us, but simply trust that I am good and the things that I have for you are good. And time and time again, God gave Israel exactly what they needed. It's what Christ says in the gospel. How many of you fathers, if your child asks for an egg, will give him a serpent? And even an evil father knows how to give a child good gifts. How much more your heavenly father? And then he talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit. When Israel went to the wilderness, it is because they lost sight of the reality that God is good and he gives good gifts. And whatever was waiting them in the promised land, it didn't matter what it was. God would give them that land. They weren't going in blind. They had years of, and weeks and months. They had the patriarchs. They had the, this episode after episode of God giving them what they needed. And so this judgment was in response to Israel's distrust and unbelief and frankly cowardice on the part of those ten spies. They were waiting on a good report. And you know what they got? Cowardice. I wonder how many ministers in the church today bring back reports to the members of their church, cowardly reports, as it relates to the state of the times in which we live. Don't, don't rock the boat. But the church, the body of Christ marches into that brave new world and we seek to conquer those things that look too great and too big for us. I have no idea what is in, restore, in store for Reformation, but I know that it is better than anything we've ever experienced because we're getting closer to the land of promise. And if there's giants, well, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And maybe they will fall right into the church I don't know. That's up to the Lord to decide. But Israel was removed or they were kept out of that land of promise. And maybe you remember when God said, all right, back into the wilderness you go. Then they said, no, 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 no. Okay, 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 okay. I'll obey. We'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go. Does that sound familiar, parents? No, 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 don't, 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 don't do that. It's too late. God kept his word. And for 40 years, every member of that generation died in the wilderness. And Moses is saying to the second generation, you need to understand why those things happened. And so it was also part instruction. And this is judgment for the children of God. Judgment for the children of God is for the purpose of instruction. It isn't just to satisfy God's wrath because God loves to hurt people, although many accuse him of that. God chastises, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, those whom he loves. Why? Because you and I have every inclination to do what we read in verse 17, to say, look what we did, guys. Look at what we're doing. 
Look how great we are. We did this. And you may say, well, that would have been crazy for Israel to do that. But you do that. How often do you fail to give God credit for the things that he has done? Every meal unthanked, every difficult chapter in your life resented, we live with a lack of thanksgiving to God. And so God brings those times of suffering, of trial and judgment, not to destroy us, but to, like the refiner's fire, get rid of that dross. Get rid of the stuff, the impurities. Because the potter knows how to shape the clay, Romans chapter 9. He knows how to do that. He knows how to get us to the place where we need to be, where we glorify and enjoy him best. The reality of the covenant that God has entered into with men through the Son is that he is committed to sanctifying us. And this is the wonderful plan that God has for your life. It is to bring you low. It is to, at times, bruise to chastise, to discipline, even for those moments that feel too much so that we might not live in the power of our own flesh. He does this because he's good. He does this because he's gracious. And he does this because there is nothing better for us to be than like him. But we are a long, long way off from that objective. And so God is faithful to get rid of the dross, to spit out the bones and keep the meat. And if you're anything like me, it just feels like you're all dross. (laughs) There's gold in there somewhere. God will find it. He's committed to it. But he will use judgment. And so Israel is in the wilderness because they need to be. They chose to be out of their rebellion. And God didn't just send them there and say, all right, we're done. He was with them for 40 years. Think about that. He didn't stay at the border waiting for Israel to come back. He went with them. This is the problem with the timeout. It is the most unbiblical form of discipline I can ever imagine. Because what it does is it tells a child or a student, that their behavior interrupts the process of parental supervision and oversight. You go everywhere that child goes. You go to the place of pain and difficulty. Why? Because you're committed to their good. God went to the timeout place, right? And he was as present with them in their judgment as he was in their deliverance. And it wasn't all bad in the wilderness. It wasn't those God was just saying, I told you for 40 years. He was still providing manna and meat. It wasn't all just harsh oversight. It was even in that 40 years of difficulty, God was keeping his word, but he was still showing Israel, this is what you must do. Do you see the benefit of obedience? 
The wages of sin, the wages of obedience. God took the second generation back so that they may not be like the first generation. To show them that his judgment is instruction in order to, as we read in this text over and over again, verse 2, these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. Verse 16, that he might humble you. What is the purpose? Humbling. (coughs) Humbling. If you want to stop experiencing the lessons you wish you didn't have to learn through, then humble yourself. It's the story in many ways of the prodigal son. By the time the prodigal son had gotten into the sty with the pigs and was eating what they were eating, he realized, life in my father's house is surely better than this. And the testimony of his humility wasn't, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to demand something from my father. He said, maybe I could even be a servant in my father's house. Being a servant in my father's house is better than this. He did not even consider the mercy of his father something he deserved. Do you think, do you think as a Christian that God owes you anything? Then there is humbling that is in store for you. Do you think for a moment that the church needs you in order to function either financially in terms of gifts and talents? Well, then the Lord has something to teach you about humility. And let me tell you this, pastors are the worst at it because they're the most visible regularly working people in the church and it is very difficult for a pastor to think the church doesn't need me. And God has a way of humbling even ministers and elders and deacons. Brothers and sisters, God is committed. This is the thing we are to take away from this particular section. God is committed to showing us How he humbles us. And even as he has done it in the first generation, he continues to do it for us today. Second point. The second point. The test and lesson are the same. What is learned in the wilderness, here's the summary of this point. What is learned in the wilderness works in the promised land. What is learned in the wilderness works in the promised land. The test and the lesson carries you through. Now, what did they learn? In some order, as Israel is coming to terms, the first generation, with what God said, oh, it's on, you're going into the wilderness, they thought first, most likely, oh, God is serious about what he says. He's serious. He means what he says. The first thing that Israel learned about Yahweh after he moved them on from the border back into the land of wandering was that rejecting his call to enter came with consequences just like he said. Here is the interesting thing. If you do not listen to God's promises that bring life, you will not listen to his promises that bring death. Because you don't believe God. That's the problem. We don't take God's word seriously. Or as in this, we see in Romans 6, Paul is talking to a group of Christians and they basically say this, oh, Christ died. 
So God's not mad at us anymore, right? We can just do whatever we want. Jesus came. He's the savior of sinners. So let's just sin it up. And every time we feel bad, we'll just sort of go over here and say, time out. We're on base. We're on the Jesus base. We, we get grace, right? Because we believe. No, Paul says it doesn't work like that. Because if you have died to sin, you live to righteousness. The condition of a person who takes God at his word is he believes what is true about the gospel and goes forth in newness of life. God keeps his word and he keeps his word in promises that bring benefit and he keeps his word in terms of things that bring judgment. He keeps his word. And when he promises something, he keeps that promise, whether it is for good or ill. And for those who do not believe God, it is a terrifying fate indeed when they come to the realization that God keeps his promises. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess is good for the Christian, but it is not good for the person who has rejected Christ. And on that day, it will be too late. And how many of those people on that day will have heard the good news of Jesus and said, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. God is serious about what he says. Not only that, but God is to be feared. In fact, turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 33, chapter 14. It's going to take me a minute to get there. I am so slow at the sword drill. I was terrible at sword drills as a kid. Isaiah chapter 33, beginning in verse 14. I lost myself here in my notes. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks upright, walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gains of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil, he will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortresses of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. There's two kinds of responses to the presence of God walking around the people. And that is what? There are those who are very much aware of their guilt and they have shame and fear and trembling. But then there are those who trust in the righteousness of God. And when he comes, it's like they get stronger in his presence. All of Israel felt terror because of this. God taught them to fear. Israel learned that God was serious about not only his promises of freedom and blessing, but also the pouring out of judgment and wrath. He was to be feared above all other gods above giants, above the future that is uncertain. Even the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 31, it is terrifying to fall into the hands of the living God. Terrifying indeed. And this is what Israel encountered. They had to leave. They had to go the other direction. Imagine you're getting close to your destination. It's vacation. You've gone six hours and you left all of your luggage at home. <laughs> oh, we've got to turn around. Fear, 
frustration. And I guarantee you, a lot of people in Israel said, I can't believe God did this to us. I can't believe he did this. He's so cruel. I cannot believe it. Absolutely, there were some in Israel who did. Instead of saying, I cannot believe we did this to ourselves. I cannot believe I did not go in when I was told to go in. And that is where Moses wants the second generation to get. To see that the author of their misery is themselves. When they fail to walk in the ways that God has illustrated as righteous and that which is wicked. These 40 years in the wilderness... Verse 2, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. Whether you would know or would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. The mercy of God. And so it isn't just that God is serious, that God is to be feared But one of the things they also learned is that God can and is to be trusted. Even after their rebellion, Moses says, he fed you. He fed you. Children, when you disobey and you offend your parents, do they stop serving you meals? Do they quit paying for your clothes? Do they kick you out of the house? Well, maybe at some point they might. (laughs) If you're too much of an interruption. But what is it? The disposition of a faithful parent is always, let's get back to that place where we were before the fight, before the conflict, before the betrayal, before the sin. Let's be restored to one another. God is patient and kind. And he he is gracious to those who sin time and time and time again. And the great testimony of the faithfulness of God is that Israel is right back where they were. And God is saying to the second generation, all right, let's go into the land. He didn't have to bring them here. They didn't get the consolation prize. There's still the land that is the promise. It is the land that is still there. God can be and is to be trusted even in the midst of his discipline and judgment. That is what we learn. That God is faithful to us. That both his judgment and his grace reveal his sovereign rule over all things. And he will bring about his purposes. And that leads me then to the sort of fourth lesson under these. What is learned in the wilderness. That God takes our sin very seriously even if we do not. He hates our sin. And he wants it eradicated from our hearts. I've said it before, God loves to take your idols and kill them in front of you. He wants you to watch them die and to see their true end. And in this, he is gracious and merciful. When God was destroying Egypt and every one of those soldiers was drowning in the Red Sea, God was showing Israel something they needed to see. Because even after they saw the destruction of Egypt, what did Israel say time and again? Can we just go back to Egypt? God says, 
There's your Egypt. It's the bottom of the Red Sea. I delivered you from that place. Is that really where you want to go? The writer of Proverbs says, A man who returns to his sin is like a dog who goes back to eat its own vomit. I've seen that recently with my puppy. And I look at it and go, You are so gross. And she's like, What? It smells like food. <laughs> that is the man who returns to his own sin. It's disgusting. It's illogical. It is, what do they say? The very definition of insanity. And you and I, brothers and sisters, we're all insane. God takes our sin very seriously. And so he wants to break us of our love for our sin. And that is why the wilderness was so important. And why the lessons that were learned there, why they were in the wilderness, what God has promised for us in the land of promise. And then in verses 11 through 20, he says this. It's the turn. Take care lest you forget. All of these things apply to that first generation. And then some, as they were born while in the wilderness, they saw some of that. Obviously, they were not alive at the time of the judgment or the handing down of the judgment. But then he turns this and he says, take care of you. Now, Moses is writing to the second and he's writing to us. I want you to take care. So that when the good times come, when the church is flourishing, and it's hard to remember what it was like when we were struggling, we don't say, we did it. We did it. Aren't we great? It's so easy to do that. Take care. Beware lest you say in your heart, verse 17, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. What God is teaching in the wilderness are the lessons that we need in the land. The lesson of deprivation is what we need when we are rich and fat and full and happy. Because it is so easy to take for granted the blessings of God when it does not, when there's no conflict. Or little conflict. <clears throat> what you learn in the wilderness is to carry you through in terms of a life in the promised land. Because what does forgetfulness bring? It's bad. In the absence of remembrance, gratitude, worship, and faithfulness to the Lord is idolatry, self-righteousness, and pride. What makes a pagan nation pagan is blindness, ignorance, and rejection of the work of God. They attribute to idols the work that Yahweh rightly deserves credit for. They rob God of glory and failing to attribute to him glory and thanksgiving. And they live by a law that has not been revealed by him. This is why worship is essential in the life of a Christian. It is because it's here. We call it a covenant renewal ceremony. Where God renews his vows to us, we renew our vows to him. He tells us what he has done for us, and we say, thank you for all that you have done. And you go out of these doors buoyed and strengthened and lifted up based upon the promises of God made to you. And when you absent yourself from worship, you are absenting yourself from the exercise of remembering. You forget. You forget. 
And when you forget to lean upon God for help, you will go get help somewhere else. And the problem that we're facing in our neighborhoods today is there are many churches and the doors are closed and those people are not remembering. They've been shut off from the corporate exercise of remembering that God is their deliverer. And they will go find deliverance. But it will not be from him. And they will soon learn. They will soon learn the harsh reality of a God that is not gracious. Who does not do things worthy of remembrance. But our God is good. What one thing in the scriptures would you ever be ashamed to, to remember? In the... In the, in, the, in the company even of the unbeliever. For all that God does is good. And so there ought never be a moment in the Christian life where you get to stop remembering. Stop leaning upon the Lord for leading and help. Let us remember. Let's pray.